Welcome back, everybody, to Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we are talking about movies. Now, there are a lot of podcasts that are talking about movies, but we're specifically talking about movies that other people are just not talking about. Now, why do I say that? Because they're films that were maybe, hey, they won Academy Awards. They were directed by massive, you know, put your name and stars on a billboard talent. Maybe they were indies that, you know, had a spark, but never really got the attention they deserved. People are just not talking about them the way they used to. And I'm here with my friend to talk about those things. I'm Matthew Shuckman, and my friend is... Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And uh, first of all, reaffirming our friendship on this podcast is something that makes me happy. (laughs) Because, you know, it's just, again, to do it, anyone can do a show like this. But when you've got a partner, a co-host, a friend along for the ride with you that you really vibe with and really enjoys doing it, it makes the show that much better. And if anybody needs evidence to that point, uh, go back and listen to some of our past episodes Mm. because, I mean, no matter what the movie may be, no matter how sidetracked we may get, (laughs) that camaraderie is still there. And I would like to say that this week is not a big sidetrack but more of a, a big appreciation because yes. this week we have the man, the myth, the legend, the wonderful acting talent of Wes Studi, who is talking with us about his new film, A Love Song, which co-stars Dale Dickey and is just, spoiler alert, it's fantastic. Watch it. Just, if you want beautiful scenery and mature relationship drama slash comedy, go see that. But we're also going to be talking about a film that I am quite surprised a lot of people, I mean, I know some people that really like it, but I've, a lot of people aren't talking about 1992's Last of the Mohicans, directed by Michael Mann and starring uh, Madeline Stowe, Daniel Day-Lewis, and uh, Wes Studi. What a coincidence. And it's the 30th anniversary of the film this year. Yeah, I mean, literally, we're just like a month or two away from its original release date, I believe, because I believe it was, was it September that it came out? I, mm-hmm. I should have looked that up. We should definitely look that up. But in the meantime... Um, I think we've done, oh wait, no, we should, we should of course set up the films. So- I, think, I think actually, I think for the most part, you set them up pretty well. I mean, we didn't talk about Less Than the Mohicans, but I like your love story set up. Yeah. Love so- song. Sorry. Love the love story. A love song. Wow. Listen to me. Love song. A love song is a great love story. And I mean, I kind of want one of those radios that Dale Dickey had in that movie because that is, it's just what? really charming. And I we'll also talk, we'll talk, we're going to talk about I'm going to say something about that. And after we talk to Wes, I have some stuff I want to mention about that. You know what? That's absolutely fair. Uh, right now, we're just going to jump into our conversation with Wes Studi at the Overdue Rentals rental counter. Sir, welcome. Hey, Wes, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's actually that's a real privilege to be talking to you. So it, you know, anytime we get to talk to certain people, it just like warms me up. So just seeing your face and being able to talk to you is a great thing. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I feel the same way about you as well. <laughs> I know you've always been waiting to talk to us. I know, <laughs> but more importantly, I do want to talk. I do want to just jump right in and start talking about a love song because. But which love song? Oh, oh, all of them, but very specifically the film, a love song. Oh, because... oh, oh okay. I found it so interesting because this is one of the few times that I got to see two revered actors really be vulnerable in a way that almost like they were nervous children again. And I'm wondering what it was like kind of getting in that mindset. Was it easy? Was it, was it hard? Um, it, was, it, was somewhat, it was somewhat difficult, yeah. 
to uh, get to the point of uh, embracing vulnerability. Um, and that's definitely what is asked for uh, in terms of the, the script, the story itself. Uh, these two guys are uh, really taking a chance at, uh, at life, uh, at uh, making a, uh, hopefully, a, a difference in their lives that, uh, uh, that fate has sort of brought them back together after a good long while. And uh, it's very reflective of reality in terms of how, uh, I think, in real life, those kinds of vulnerabilities do make themselves very apparent. And the story in a love song just makes them more apparent in terms of uh, of uh, scale, you know? Uh, but I, I, that's why I think uh, one of the reasons that uh, it's well accepted is people can empathize with that because almost all of us have been through that kind of a situation, you know, and uh, uh, Dale and I get to see it on screen <laughs> of us being <laughs> that awkwardly vulnerable. <laughs> and it, it just works so beautifully just watching the two of you sort of give and take in that, in a majority of the film where you have Faye and Leto reconnecting after all these years. And there's like that, the one scene in the camper where they're sitting at the table and he just looks at her and says, we, we were good friends once, weren't we? And just that slow burn of where are they going with all of this is just, it's as beautiful as the scenery that they show off in this movie, which is also just lush. It is, it is that. And, and the two characters are slowly chipping away at their own defenses, all of the, the walls that they put up around themselves to, to uh, protect themselves from pain, probably, mm -hmm. you know, from, uh, from what uh, life carries with it at times, uh, the, the tragic parts of life. Uh, and they're slow, they slowly chip away at their own walls and open up to one another it's uh, a it's a revealing story and very very intimate one of the first uh, uh impressions i had of it was wow this is really a personal personal kind of story uh, does he you know does this writer really want to want to tell this story mm -hmm. uh it, um, is it by a biographical is it autobiographical by uh, Max or someone I, I I just had to wonder if that was the case and uh, I thought I don't know if I could ever be that brave you know to put that out to the public uh, also yeah. in such a way that is because it's it's still all the way through a very light film it's very funny it's you know I think a lot of times when those types of things are discovered or kind of trying to be searched out they get more serious but this is much more loving and heartfelt in a way that's also kind of like a an early coen brothers film in a lot of ways with where the humor comes out <laughs> well i found them kind of humorous in their in their inability to uh communicate uh, <laughs> like other characters do on in film and uh and yeah <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, I thought they were kind of, I did, I had to, I brought myself to laugh at them, you know, <laughs> allowed myself to, uh, is what I mean. <laughs> Especially uh, the scene where he's putting the tent together 
and it's like okay how long we we kind of know where this is going but how long until either of them gets the hint of well <laughs> someone's got to make the first move <laughs> and that's real life isn't it yeah. uh, that's just the way yeah. things happen uh -huh. yeah i yeah audiences can empathize empathize with uh, that uh, and 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 in many ways sympathize with them as uh as they awkwardly go through life it's, it's kind of like watching a couple of teenagers i like to say you know yeah mm -hmm. well not only just watching a couple of teenagers because going back to again finding that vulnerability and whether it was difficult or or easy knowing that i, I mean i've seen videos of you playing guitar i know you're competent at the instrument is it even more difficult maybe having to pretend like oh, well, hold on let me no i gotta start i gotta start but stop again getting back into that mindset of that that frail you know kind of uh teen at a party trying to impress somebody. <laughs> uh, well, I've been there, so I could call <laughs> up on that, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, so many, so the, so many of the things that I do, I, I'm able to call upon what had, has actually happened in my life, you mm. know, and, uh, kind of uh, bring that into the, uh, uh, the performance at the time. That's also just one of the one of my favorite moments of the film is you and Dale singing there, having the sing along with guitars. Just you don't see that in a lot of a lot of movies, and a love song is so atypical when it comes to romantic stories because, like we've been dancing around this whole time, it really does take a realistic, gentle approach to it. It's not contrived. There aren't like mis purposeful misunderstandings and other parties trying to get in the way. It's just these two people being people and it's just shown in the most beautiful way mm. i think dale did a wonderful job of uh creating that uh fey character and uh, uh i'm so proud to be a part of uh, the story as uh, as the uh boy toy <laughs> <laughs> west duty eye candy love it let's go with that <laughs> yes um, we're gonna have five netflix movies for you by the end of the year <laughs> boy toy part one still boy toy part two and then we'll get we'll let the writers figure it out from there yeah yeah <laughs> well but again you know, as as we talk about it being ultimately enjoyably you know funny or, or heartfelt you know, there are hard choices that get made, especially in Lido's case, and I'm not going to say specifics to give away for anybody who doesn't see it, who hasn't seen it yet, excuse me. But I'm wondering if you at first even questioned maybe if that was the decision he would have made, or you just like, this is the script, I'm going to go with it. I don't even have to think about it. Um, I'm just wondering how you kind of felt about his, his ultimate you know, decision. Uh, it was, I think, uh, it, it was... It was a hard thing. Uh, at first, I didn't understand uh, why that would happen, uh, why he would do that. But then on given further thought, uh, I, I think I, I think he uh, based his decision more on uh, having a, a better understanding of uh, of uh, Faye and uh, and what she what she really needed mm. out of uh, out of the whole experience and that uh, uh, I think he felt like this this is uh, 
this is all I can really do here. You know, mm -hmm. I, I believe that uh, it was kind of a compassionate choice, I believe, on his part. It's interesting because, you know, it's just like most good movies. It's going to leave it open for people to have different interpretations if they want as well. Because I remember when I was first watching it, I said to myself, I was like, well, you know, they're both coming from a similar place in a lot of ways. It's just that, like everybody in the world, one thing will affect one person one way, and they are able to move on in a certain sense. And then for in Leto's case, it opens up another wound that maybe wasn't expecting that made him change his mind. Well, we'll say change his mind. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but made that ultimate decision. What he, he went there's a, Yeah, there's the concept of self-preservation on both of their parts, I believe. And uh, uh, it's, yeah, uh, but, it, but it's a hopeful thing that, uh, uh, that, uh, that the, that the story ends with it's a, it's a yeah. kind of hopeful thing uh, in how what what will happen next for them in their lives, uh, <clears throat> but uh, uh, yeah, I I liked uh, I liked the the feature right at the end as well, you know, um, a sort of last reaching out of sorts. Yeah. I mean, it definitely. Faye definitely at first probably was hurt, but you can tell it, it helped her teach her something as well. Not necessarily teach her something, but she learned a lot about herself because of that as well and what she was able to do after for the people around her in that small little campsite just alone. You can tell it wasn't a sad thing. Uh, no, uh, I think that uh, maybe the idea could come from the trailer in that it's kind of a sad sort of tragic story, but uh, essentially it's not. No, it? yeah. Mm -mm. Well, I'm glad I didn't watch the trailer then because yeah. I left this with, I, I actually, I left this very hopeful and it's like, well, technically she has his address. If she ever wants to look him up and do a role reversal, that could always happen. But even if that doesn't happen, the whole point was Faye gets to grow from all of this. And it's not, again, the typical wallowing because you've lost love. And it's like, you know, she she's obviously upset about it, but then she goes up, spends time on that hill, and then decides it's time to move on. Such is life. Yeah. Not just to move on, but help others. Give the canoe to the, to the ladies. They're going to need it. They're going to need their own adventure. She knows how it now can affect other people through her. I like that phrase the, the little girl uses there uh, it, in terms of, what was it, um, for romantic adventure? Yeah. Or... <laughs> Excursions. Randy, that's yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Again, it's just, it's such a genuine film and there, it's just, it, most of these decisions, they probably, if you're writing a movie by committee, most of these decisions probably would be edited in some way, shape or form. And that's why, you know, indie movies like this are still very important to keep in a theatrical ecosystem. I think it's a very good diversion from the turmoil we actually live in, you know? <laughs> yes. I mean, you get to watch gorgeous scenery and two people falling slowly and trying to decide what to do with their lives. And it's pleasant no matter what. Mm. Well, I, I hope it does well. And I think it will, the film, I mean. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, my wife hasn't seen it because I, I watched it for the interview, but after having seen it, I want to take my wife to see it because I think she'll really appreciate it. <laughs> and if anything, just to watch these gorgeous vistas and all of this scenery being put on a huge screen, it's mm. just, this, it really is an eyeful of a film. 
Do you know what the mountain is called? The one that you see up in the background a lot? Uh, no. It's called Lone Cone. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And the nearest little village there is called Norwood, I think. Uh, it's somewhere uh, uh, near Telluride, Colorado. Hmm. Well, I mean, speaking about, again, getting that opportunity to film in actual locations too. I'm not, I, know, I know nowadays we all talk about, not nowadays, it's been for a long time that we talked about green screens and, and being on studio sets and so on and so forth. But having the opportunity to be out there in the, you know, in the wide open with these things must be a great thing, especially since, because again, here on Over Rentals, we do like to talk about films that we think were once massive hits and they're still well regarded, but people don't talk about them as much anymore. And with the 30th anniversary of Les Mohicans coming up, that's another film where you got to experience being in these grand open spaces, filming these gorgeous things and just must have been great being there, but then also seeing on screen and the comparison is must have been a fantastic thing. The larger part of my career has been spent on locations. Uh, uh, the only exception being Avatar, wherein we, mm. we were within a uh, motion capture volume, uh, and uh, that that was such such a big <laughs> such a big change for me in terms of uh, like. I mean, I've worked some sound stages and all, but uh, on the other hand, uh, the larger part of my career has been uh, out in uh, on locations like that. And uh, they always, all of these locations, any location always becomes a part of uh, the entire story, almost a character unto itself. Yes. You know? And de just depending on how uh, the cinematographer and the director will see exactly how they want to place things and what to add to the uh, the entire uh, uh, <clears throat> storyline. One of the things that makes that it makes me think of is uh, last in Last of the Mohicans. There's a scene wherein Michael Mann recreates a uh, painting that's at uh, one of the large historic hotels, I, I forget what it's called there around Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, he recreates this painting with a scene of a wagon traveling over uh, a, a bridge and, uh, you know, horse-drawn wagon. And that's the, the actual uh, painting. It, it's uh, it's not only reminiscent, it's almost exactly the same as that painting you'll see. I think it's the Biltmore Hotel is where you find that painting. Uh, but uh, right at, it's right at the beginning of the film itself. Uh, I think uh, a scene wherein uh, uh, the British officer is traveling from one place to another. Yeah. And this is just such an, I mean, it's such an atypical movie for Michael Mann when you look at most of his resume because the public at large knows him for, you know, the tough guy crime movies like uh, you reteamed with him in Heat or we talked about Collateral earlier on the show. Like those sorts of movies are what people immediately recall when they hear Michael Mann. But if you really know the Mann's style and right down to mentioning him recreating that painting, this very much fits in his wheelhouse aesthetically and, and technically. And I'm surprised that I, I believe it was on his commentary. He said, no one was injured in any of these fight scenes. 
The most that happened was someone fell off a golf cart and sprained their ankle on set. That was it. Tell us the truth, Wes, what really happened? We'll go with that then. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, I happen to uh, have been a part of and close to a number of, uh, of scenes uh, that might beg to differ. Yeah. Uh, oh. We won't go there. <laughs> Maybe he meant no massive injuries, but you know. <laughs> oh no, there was nothing, absolutely no massive injuries. Uh, but I did, uh, I tore a meniscus. Mm. I tore a meniscus on my, my leg uh, and had to have uh, orthoscopic surgery to uh, take a, the torn part off the, uh, yeah, the pad, the knee pad. <clears throat> and in fact, I, you can see uh, in the fight with Uncas right before uh, uh, we had to do some reshoots in terms of, because that's where I actually tore the meniscus um, during that fight. Uh, and I had to go have surgery and then I had a, 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 a cast that barely shows up at the top of my leggings in one of the scenes where I think is when I push him off the mountain because we had to reshoot that, finish up that oh, shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to go back and watch it. I'm going to look at that cast. <laughs> Freeze frame it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, look, a film like that, especially, you know, that, you know, because that's still early in your career as well. You know, I'm sure there was a... a I don't know if you could say there was a fervor as it is in production, but that was a movie that I remember when it came out. I saw that when it came out in the theater. I was like, I was young. I was like 12 years old, I would say. And, but I, you know, granted, a lot of, at, at the time, a lot of it was everybody saw the trailer and you can like turn on probably something like Saturday Night Live and hear somebody say, I will find you. Cause that was like the big thing. And everybody, that's what they're clumped onto. But when that film came out, was, was the, the expectation for what it was the same it felt like when you signed on or were you kind of surprised with how big it became as it as it finally came out into the world well i equated the name michael mann with uh you know with successful film and uh, I, so i knew that it was going to definitely have a chance to be seen by a lot of people i what i didn't know was how well it would be accepted and it's, uh, you know, it has its followers to this day. Uh, they still have uh, 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 reunions of uh, guys that work mm. one way or another on it in North Carolina, uh, around Lake Lure and thereabouts. And uh, uh, I've actually gone to a couple of their uh, reunion kind of meetings with, uh, uh, back in the day. But uh, uh, I I really can't describe uh, my feelings on the whole thing in that, uh, um, <clears throat> I, in a way, I kind of didn't have time to revel in the fact that I was in a successful Michael Mann film uh, because I got pretty busy after that, uh, and and uh, and I, and I uh, I'm eternally grateful for the for the fact that. Uh, I was seen by casting directors and directors and filmmakers that uh, invited me on their shows uh, after that. It was uh, it was really a breakthrough for my career. Was there ever a fear of perhaps being typecast in, you know, these same sort of historical epics? Because, you know, right before this, you were, in, well, not too long before this, you were in Dances with Wolves. 
And then you did Last of the Mohicans. You went on to do Geronimo and American Legend after that. Was that, I mean, was that something that was in your mind and you sort of got over by taking this project? Uh, taking a love song? Being... No, no, uh, Last of the Mohicans. Uh, like, you're free to being typecast if you continue to take historical epics like this. Oh, no, I, that was, uh, to me, that was just the, the that was the door that was open for me at that time because of what I had done uh, before that. Uh, <clears throat> um, one of the reasons, one of the first jobs I ever got out of uh, LA, out of Hollywood, if you will, was because I was able to ride a horse, shoot a gun, and a and speak a language other than English simultaneously. That was mm. that was the only requirement that I had. And this was a a western that was being done out in Santa Fe, and that was one of the first jobs, biggest jobs that I had pre. Um, uh, dances with wolves, uh, but uh, that was uh, <clears throat> a, a lot of fun to do. And in between, I made a film that sort of made me begin to think that well, I can also work in a contemporary basis as well. But you mentioned being uh, typecast. The the fact that I could continue to work on these uh, at least four films that you named there was like the the door opening for me. I mean, that was my way into the, into the business and being uh, considered an actor that could handle other parts. But in between, I did a film called Pow Wow Highway, which was contemporary native, yes, but it was contemporary. And, and, and then in watching myself in that particular film in contemporary times, it was, it came to me that, hey, you know, Wes, you probably could, stand to go to a few acting classes you know just to keep your <laughs> keep things moving along here uh and not depend so entirely on the fact that uh you can do stoic american indians from the past now let's it's time to move into the contemporary times and that's sort of was my goal at that time and luckily as time went on after uh, the initial Geronimo and uh, uh, and Last of the Waves, those films, then I began to move into other kinds of films like uh, uh, Street Fighter um, um, and uh, Deep Rising, the one and, uh, yes! and <laughs> I love Deep uh, Rising. Yeah, and and at that point, I was at what I call doing roles that were. Uh, non-ethnically specific, right? So then the step after that would be to be not not a native actor, but uh, or a non-ethnically specific actor to being simply a good working actor. And that's actually what I got into the business to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I wouldn't mind if I became an A-list star either, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know that that's part of the acting business as much as it is uh, the uh, publicity business, you know. Yeah, some people say that we only have, like, very few movie stars left anymore, and it's just, you know, if you can become a working actor that gets to branch out like you have or like so many others have, that's that's one of the greatest things you can have. And we here at Overdue Rentals just always sort of champion those sorts of people because 
when you see a name like West Judy or any of these other actors in a credit role, it's like, oh, a familiar face. I can't wait to see what they do this time. <laughs> well, they're, they're all our favorites. You know, Mike and I were talking the other day and not, not to just tie it to um, Native American actors, but we specifically tell them because both you and Graham Greene are two of like my favorite people in the entire world. And anytime I see you guys on anything, I just get really excited. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I had so much fun with him uh, during. Uh, we we did some uh, uh, PBS mysteries back a, a number of years ago. It had to do with Tony Hillerman, uh, the author mysteries. Uh, that uh, essentially the the series called Dark Winds. You've heard of? Uh, Sounds familiar, but I'm not sure I can recall. Dark Okay, well, it's based on uh, Tony Hillerman's uh, books, but we did three, three, three uh, scripts made from particular books back in uh, sometime in the 90s, I, I think. Uh, but uh, um, Graham, in that uh, plays a part of a uh, revivalist uh, preacher. <laughs> and I, of course, am uh, a, a, a tribal policeman on the Navajo reservation. And, uh, Oh man, uh, I watched him do his stuff to the point of wow. I thought, where is this fella coming from? <laughs> He's hilarious. He's hilarious, <laughs> and it's all contemporary stuff. You know, it it, it was really it makes makes uh, doing this work uh, joyful. You know, I'm happy to be a part of uh, development like that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about all these things. Wes, have yes. a great rest of the day. And you too. Okay, sir. <laughs> Wes Studio. Look, ow, I, I fawned all over the man. I'm sorry. It's just he's one of those people that... I don't like, think he did that bad. It's, it's one of those things where it was the, the perfect impressionable time for me is when he became a big thing. And so, like, it, it like and he's also got... He's one of those people, like, look, I'm not trying to say, I feel bad saying it because, you know, we should veer away from talking about people as a talent, about their looks and stuff like that. But he's got, he's got such a look that like, oh yeah, you, you just like, oh, please, I want, that's, that's an actor. Show me that guy. And his voice too. It's just like, oh, you, you gotta such love it. Oaken, such an Oaken sort of reassuring voice. Like, even if he's not the guy you're supposed to be rooting for, just that that tenor of his voice is always like, okay, I, I I might be on the other side of this argument, but I can't help but admire like just the the man is classically handsome and classically voiced, and it is still just I I am still honored that we have him on this show. I, I have a comment about something you just said, but it's about Last of the Mohicans, and I think we should talk first a little bit about a love song before we get into Last of the Mohicans love song more people need to go see a love song because this is the type of movie i will defend to the death that deserves <laughs> theatrical space yeah. i think for, i think every movie deserves yes. theatrical space and some movies don't get as much as others especially now because of their indie nature i know i know for almost almost a fact this is probably going to play at the Princeton Garden by me. And that's going to be one of the perfect places for this movie to go and thrive because that is the sort of crowd that will eat this up. But I think anybody, like this, is, anybody would love this because this is the type of romance movie that is not made as often enough as we want. It's mostly rom-coms that we're getting or, yeah. or melodramas. It's also like, it's funny because as we talked about with Wes too, it's like, 
again, going back to the idea of seeing it on a screen in a theater, because it's a movie that is both visually stunning and you should see in the theater because of that, but it's also a purely character-driven film in the same breath and watching the two of them interact. And again, and it's, it's interesting we should say that because yes, we, we were here talking to Wes, but this is, this is Dale's movie, you know? And like, you know and not to say that people don't know her and don't love her and haven't seen her and stuff like that, but this is like a vehicle for her. Like, I don't, you know, that really doesn't exist a lot of times for, for, for a lot of actors. So, you know, you, yeah. you kind of want to see it on a, on a bigger level if you can. Oh yeah, it's just, th- again, this is a movie where in a typical romantic driven film, this would be 15 to 20 minutes. It would be condensed into mm. just minutia and then all this other fluff and, and build. I mean, I'm not that I'm, I don't like rom-coms or romantic melodramas, but this movie expands on such a segment in those sorts of films and gives it such life and such depth that it really is like for, for an hour and a half, you really do get to just be distracted by this genuine connection and everything that results from it. Well, I, I should now bring this back to your comment about the radio too, because yes. it's one of the few things in this film, not that, that say there aren't other things in the film or any film that aren't you know, pure symbolism of any kind whatsoever. Because I remember when the second time, because again, First time she turns it on, which is the beginning of the movie, first of all, plays Taj Mahal's Love in My Baby's Eyes, which is a song that I've been obsessed with since it came out, which is around the same, it was around the same time like the Last Mohicans came out, maybe a few years after that song came out. And it's only like six months ago that I've like forgot about it. I'm like, I found it again. And I'm like, oh my God, and they're playing Taj Mahal's Love in My Baby's Eyes. Love that song. Anyway, at first it feels like, oh, well, I'm, I, at first I was telling myself like, well, she got a magic touch. She just turns that thing on and goes to whatever song, but it's more so the idea of playing against how her feelings are. It's like she's she's a little nervous still, but she's happy because she you know he's possibly coming, and it's just it's just it's just signifying her feelings. And then that's why when things turn a certain way and maybe he's not coming or things are happening, she can't find the station immediately. She can't just turn it right on. So it's 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 a little thing that if you're not going to dig into it, you may miss it, but it still plays well for you by just watching the movie and enjoying it. Oh yeah. Especially because at one point she says like, it always picks the song that you need. Yeah. yeah. I love that sort of little, little magical supernatural touch where it's like just a little bit. It's not bearing. It's not a huge conceit, but at the same time, it's really cool to just see one of those cool, like old school radios (laughs) being able to pluck a song from the ether like that. And, (laughs) Again, as you had pointed out, this this really is a huge vehicle for for Dale Dickey, and she's phenomenal in it. And her and Wes's chemistry throughout their their section of the film is just it's it really is cute. Like seeing these these older actors revert back to those sort of childhood yeah, yeah. crush phases and not really knowing who should make the first move or not. And it it, it just it really is endearing and. It's a film that if you, because it was a big, it was a big film festival circuit film. It was like on a lot of different film festivals. And it's one of those things when you see it on a film festival circuit and you kind of read the synopsis, you're like, I know what this is going to be. And yeah, granted, you may be right about the ups and downs for that, but it's not. And that's what, that's, what's great about it. It wasn't, it didn't have that. I'm not saying because Max is not a first time filmmaker, 
but when you think of those things in the film, you that's how you that's how it feels. Like ah, first time filmmaker doing something about relationships, it's gonna be a little uh, tear jerky and uh, boring. But it's not. It's not. It's not oh. what this is. It's just not what you think. So it's, you know, search it out. Yeah. And it, it was also just I. I guess maybe this is the last note I'll throw in before we jump into Last of the Mohicans because we got to jump into Last of the Mohicans. But I really did like the sort of Coen Brothers slash Wes Anderson energy of yes. this universe, especially with the family coming in to, to, to dig out their father and, and the exchange of the canoe for the, the, the engine. Well, that's, that's, again, that's the thing, because it's only those sections that have that, like we say, Coen Brothers, Wes Anderson kind of feel. And then it's the intimate story between the two of them, which still has the exact emotional waves that those scenes have but not the same overtone yeah no this movie gets to experiment with a whole bunch of well not a whole bunch but several sorts of tones and stories but it all does flow rather nicely because love in some form of an or another comes up i mean she even her one of her last questions to the family is like was he a good man talking about the father they're trying to dig up and they're like yeah and it's like this movie really does anchor itself in people's feelings for each other and and navigating them and it never belittles it it never cheapens it and it just plays it basically plays from its heart like it should and i i absolutely adore this film and yeah well with that let's go talk now about a completely different type of film but still utterly Gorgeous. Yeah, of course. Yes. Last oh. of the Mohicans. Now, look. I, I still think, see, I'm still just amazed at how atypical this is for Michael Mann because looking at his resume, there's two films that sort of stick out, and it's this and The Keep. Yeah. And oh. because, like I said, everybody mentions Michael Mann. What do you think? You think these tough guys busting crime or committing crimes. You think Thief uh, with the late James Kahn. You think Heat, which is another film that West Studi was in. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm gonna, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm going to be honest with you. Up to a certain point, and this is even when Heat came out, if anybody said the name Michael Mann to me, I always thought about Manhunter. There's that too. There's That's the one that always came to mind for me. There's Miami Vice as well. There's uh, Vice Story, Police Story. I forget what it was called. The, the Dennis Farina series. Oh, well, yeah, which would um, police story because it, it, it used the reversion of uh, of um, of Del, Del Shannon's runaway as the theme song. Yes. But then you you go and watch Last of the Mohicans. And this is another historical romantic epic that this is almost like proto outlander minus the time travel. <laughs> well, I mean, look, based off a very famous book, James, James uh, Fenimore. Um, you know, I mean, I never read the book. I saw the movie. I saw the movie, like I said, when we saw it in West, I saw the movie when it came out. I saw it in the theaters on release. It was one of those things that, again, I'm not, I don't mean to repeat myself, but it was like the entire world was just going, I will find you. I was everywhere. No matter where you turn, that was everywhere. Well, also, and it was like my mother would walk around the house going, like, I will find you. And it's like, so we all went to see it when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, this is like the beginning of like Daniel Day Lewis fever. Like, I mean, well, look, I mean, he already won the Academy Award for My Left Foot. Well, yeah, but that that was like that was the big kickoff. Yeah, this is absolutely like, agreed, one hundred percent. Yeah, 
I'm sorry. I, I thought I was cutting you off, so I stopped talking. There you were. And then, of course, you know, you have Madeline Stowe in here. A young Jared Harris, which I was, like, blown away to see that. I, I love Jared Harris. That's another person where it's, like, just seeing him in something that's like, oh, wow, I wonder what he's going to be doing in this. I really like that he's in here. But I think this takes me back to the, to the comment I wanted to make earlier. I said, I wait till we talked about Les Nohicans, because when you introduced Wes Studi, you were talking about, I remember how, the exact words you said at this point now, but you said even for somebody who may have been seen at one point as a villain, because to me, Wes Studi, even though seeing Wes Nohicans, Wes Studi has always been a good guy in my mind. And this was, and again, even though he had Dance of the Wolves and other stuff, this was really the big breakout. And he was, he's, he's the villain. He's well, not the you villain, know, but he is the villain, <laughs> you know? And well, it's besides just, like, all the British people and all the French people running around. Exactly. I don't mean to say the, but like, but especially when you get to the end of the movie, I mean, granted, not even before that, you know that for people, who, I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to act as if people haven't seen it. You know, he's basically a mole in, in, another, in another tribe you know, who's there not, he means well for his own people, but in the eyes of the story, he is an antagonist. Well, yeah, it's the relatable antagonist where it's like, they see themselves as the hero, their intentions are based on their own means and moral compass. It's not necessarily the mustache twirling villain. It's, you know, someone acting against the character that we're technically supposed to root for because of their own rooted needs. It's just so funny that being introduced to him that way because there's a lot of people that when you get introduced to them even if you don't associate them with just the one role of course something in your mind always brings it back to that for 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 somebody but it doesn't for me i always see him in in a different light maybe it's just because knowing before we got to talk to him knowing how he is as a person like seeing how warm and 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 gentle he is and and lovable he is that maybe that's why it stuck that way to me because going back to rewatch it, I like, I almost, not I forgot, but I almost forgot just, you know, the, 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 the real motives of that character and, and, and what was behind that, 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 that role more than anything else. It's just kind of like, I guess, flew out of my mind somehow. Also a small tangent. I just love his Graham Greene story. <laughs> yes. I want to oh, go. I, I wrote, I wrote that down so I could check it up after. I want to go seek that out too. And just because, again, I, I really hope we get Graham Greene on this show too. Yes. But And I, I need to watch this because hearing him just have that utter delight of watching him play a revivalist preacher, just the joy in his voice about that was infectious. Yeah. And in, in a sense, he just pitched an overdue rental to everyone that we didn't even think about. And that again, that's that, that was, again, someone that gets it. That is just the sort of enthusiasm that we like to hear on overdue rentals, or we just like to hear in in life in general. Yeah, and we, and we won't go into it too much too, because again, I, I, we said it when we were talking to Wes how Mike and I were just talking about a lot of these things, but it is true. It's like we literally just had like this discussion about Graham Greene, because we, I, I mean, look, not that we love seeing him in specific roles, but I just love sometimes when he pops up in something that I had no idea he was in, or like it's like oh, it's just like. This Graham Green, oh, it's great. So yeah, seeing him do like anything that's just kind of out of the box, like is automatically enjoyable. And uh, we'll talk about that when we talk to Graham Green at one point because we're going to get Graham Green on the show. But oh, yeah. I have to ask you, when did you see Last of the Mohicans? I was very late to this because I watched it when we were when we were re- researching for the show. Oh, okay, really? It's something that I had always been very interested in because again, the whole Michael Mann 
con a connection to it, but also the score is something that I remember people like, especially at the end of that the end of that movie the last like five to seven minutes man like, like, there is a sound there is a site that i haven't visited this in a long time this was my my first office job out of college one of the things that helped me get through that position was a site called streamingsoundtracks.com and there were a couple tracks that people would free like there there were certain soundtracks that like there was a limit to how frequently you could request a song unless you were like a paid VIP member. Mm. So I was not a paid VIP member. So it was like once every week, I think you could request certain tracks because of licensing fees, I'm sure. And everything, this was like the early days of, of streaming radio. Yeah. Like 07, 08. And I think the track's called Promontory. Something, something along those lines. Yes. The soundtrack, and someone would always want that requested. So what some people would do is you become friendly with people in the chat and it's like, hey, that track's open. They may not be able to request it. I will request it for them. And then you just put in the comment section like for whomever. It's and, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go on. No, 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 please finish. No, but basically it's just like, I rem and I could swear this soundtrack was used in a lot of trailers. Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, I rewatched the movie, but what I'll do sometimes is in preparation to leading up to, or even after, I'll go search on YouTube, just the movie title, just to see what clips come up first, because that informs me of maybe something I forgot. Maybe I forgot that there was like one piece that everybody talks about, and that's one that's viewed 50 million times. When you look up Less of the Mohicans, most of it is all about that song. Most of all the top searches, uh, just looking less, you don't have to put Less of the Mohicans soundtrack, you have to put Les Mohicans, anybody's name. You just put Les Mohicans. It's the soundtrack that comes up most first on YouTube. You're typing it right now, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm, type, I'm I'm bringing up the movie. But um, I want to look up some names. Oh, of course. Because I want to talk about how gorgeous this film looks. And of course, Dante Spinotti is the cinematographer. <laughs> and uh, I, I believe he also worked on a, uh, a favorite of ours called um, La Confidencia. Oh, sorry, LA Confidential. Never heard of it. Oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, I'll admit, I I was stole, <gasps> I partially stole that gag from Mystery Science Theater because quick sidetrack, they did like an award special, and it was like the it was during the Mike Nelson era, and they're like, oh, there's this wonderful movie about a children boys. I remember this called La Confidencial. Oh no, yeah. that's L.A. Confidential. <laughs> of course you remember that. You're well, look, look, look. I, but I want to say something. I want to go back very quickly. I apologize because I want to go back because. You, you're apologizing I, you, for backtracking on our own show. We're you probably to... saw my shock when you said that this was your first time really seeing the film. Oh, yes, I did. And see what it. shocked me about that, not necessarily that it's like, oh, Mike, you haven't seen it. It's one of those things, which is normally the kind of thing I would do to somebody, not to somebody. I would think when somebody tells me they haven't seen something. But Last of the Mohicans, again, because it was 92, it kind of crossed this weird barrier for me where our schools, where instead of like, you know, when you had to like study Hamlet, so you'd watch Laurence Olivier's version of Hamlet and all sort of stuff, they started actually doing, I remember we actually took a school trip to the theater to watch the Daniel Day-Lewis Winona Ryder um, Scarlet Letter. Sorry? Crucible. Crucible, that's right, it's Crucible, not Scarlet, it's Crucible, yeah. right. Yeah, Scarlet Letter was Demi Moore and uh, Gerald. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, for, for the Crucible. And um, one second. <laughs> He's a witch! I didn't hit mutant time. Um, 
but um, but we would by the time Les Mohicans was was on VHS at the time, um, you'd watch it in history class, even though it's not a history thing or an English class. You'd watch these were the films that was like that, and um, like I'll I'll be honest with you, this is more so um my thing, not the school's thing, but like we had a uh, a um a history lesson on Native American culture. Um, and so my friend and I wanted to be, you know, not smart. We wanted to be, I don't know, quote unquote current. And so we both bought in, we both taped off of MTV, the Rage Against the Machine freedom video and brought that in to talk about it. Cause it's also that whole thing, you know, talks about the, you know, the freedom for, for Lana Peltier, um, which was not, you know, history, history. It's more the seventies. But like we was like we would show it to our history teacher because at that time he didn't know what the was going on in pop culture and you know that there was oh there's a rock band in the in the 90s talking about all this stuff great you know so like I'm just saying that there was this point where Lesson the Hohikins was on VHS and that was the time when schools were like being more modern for how they wanted to present things. I went off on a tangent, I apologize. So I was just surprised that somehow it wasn't shown to you in like high school or something. Yeah, I mean th- it's, that was I, a rant. I oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners, time, for that. At the, don't be sorry because at the same time, I think that should be a that would be a really good side topic to have for an episode, like movies that are built for like educational lessons. Because I remember I had a science class in high school where we got to watch Apollo 13 over mm. the course of like several class periods, and so I it, it was one of those science where I was like in and out with science because like I was okay an okay student in science (laughs) so it's like oh cool you can start out in like chemistry freshman year and then it's like oh you're going to physical science the next year oh then you go to physics the next year so it's like hard easy hard easy and it was so the the physical science part was what I really grasped the point where there was a worksheet that we were supposed to work on for the whole movie and it's like oh I filled out the whole worksheet I can watch Apollo 13 now (laughs) but Go, so yeah that would be a great side topic we but, could de- yeah we could definitely do yeah. that but also thinking about less than Ohikans, and i this is what i wonder now is because again based off based off an old famous novel it's a lot of stuff going on with it but i wonder how many people nowadays just see a movie called less than Ohikans, and on the cover of it is daniel day lewis and they go what is this bullshit i can't just what, what is this you know he's not a Mohican, you know, I wonder, how, I wonder how the younger audiences would feel about this. Yeah. Some, some may think it's, it's racial appropriation. And, yeah. you know, it, it, I remember we had this, I think we had this conversation together where it's like, you know, there was that era where you could get away with just casting like an Italian actor. And yeah, well, that's the thing for the longest time. Yeah. All, not, or, not all, but a lot of native Americans in films were like old Italian men or you go to the original Firestarter and you've got George C. Scott playing playing an indigenous character. Well, they, they made up for that in Creepshow, right? Uh, wasn't he the owner of the cigar shop at the Cigar Shop Indian? I don't know, no, no. I don't, I don't know. Oh, no, that's George Kennedy, not George C. Scott. That was George Kennedy in Creepshow. And then uh, Holt McElhaney, I think, played a, an indigenous person. And Did he, he, I thought he was the young kid who breaks, the young guy who breaks into the house he was like somebody's kid. I can't remember now. I can't we're have to go back. We we may even just have to. Uh, can we talk about Creepshow? I think so. Yeah, I think it, I think it fits enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder, see, I wonder if we would bundle the two and the not so seen, but possibly not so good third in there. Well, there wasn't, was there technically, was that, was that an official thing? I, I know there's the TV show now, but. I think it was a, there was like a DVD, like straight to DVD creep show three. I don't know. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll yeah, think we about, we'll think about it another time because now we're getting, I think we're getting too far off the track now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right now we're really, we're, we're supposed to be talking about Last of the Mohicans, which again is a gorgeous, yeah, sweeping epic that people should go see and you know if i had a, if i had a repertory theater i would i would probably show this on a big screen because it's again it's just so gorgeously captured that it deserves it yeah no it's it's something that you know again not trying to dissuade for like modern ways of filmmaking or something like that but like epics now are not the same as they were then uh, if they even exist anymore uh, in a certain certain way because i don't know how many people are making them but you, you you go out to these sweeping, you know. Again, it's supposed to be New York, but they're in they're in the, the Carolinas uh, filming it. Um, but you know, it's, it's got to be because you know New York, even upstate, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. You can't really do it. But anyway, yeah, it's like you you just go and film these beautiful landscapes, and your actors in these beautiful landscapes with casts on the leg as they throw somebody over a waterfall. <laughs> And then accidentally tear a meniscus in the in the uh, yeah I got, I'm going back I'm going back after we after we finish this and just looking at that real quick see if I can catch a cast, but you know with that people, go check out a love song it's it's now out now available starting July 29th, go cross off Last of the Mohicans if you haven't yet seen it, cross it off your overdue rentals list, send us an email let us know. If, if you think it's an overdue rental, maybe you have different feelings. Maybe you watch it and want to come back and tell us if you, how would you think about the co cultural appropriation portions of it? Uh, which again, it's not supposed to be a cultural appropriation type of thing. That's British soldiers and just happens to be Daniel Day-Lewis the star. So that's how you market it. And you just put Les Mohicans over his head. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut myself off there because Michael, I need you to tell people where to find us. <laughs> well, <laughs> when we're not busy when we are not busy uh trying to find our exits uh because you know we're just showmen here we're just great greatest showmen beautiful uh you don't need a magic radio to find us it may help but there's this thing called the internet and the internet allows you to seek us out in very many corners starting with our various social media presences which if you'd like to find us we put out we do put out content there we we I will admit I need to get better at the Twitter thing, but you know we're still working on building the brand and building our our base, which can be found on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, and on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you do indeed want to email us your thoughts about cultural appropriation with Last of the Mohicans, uh, love letters, uh, your own stories about how you first discovered the power that is West Duty. You can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. And since you are on the internet, probably looking for the Blu-ray with the director's definitive edition of The Last of the Mohicans, you can find our back catalog, our, our previous episodes, all of the gems that they are, wherever you ethically source your podcasts. I like to say ethically because some platforms are valued more than others in people's eyes. But we're everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, 
you know, where we may even be on some magic ham radio, who knows, <laughs> wherever you find podcasts, chances are we're there. And wherever you find our podcast, you usually find a couple buttons that allow you to rate our show, review our show, and subscribe so you do not miss the new episodes that come out. You should definitely do all three of those because we like to know which episode, we really like to know what you want to hear on this show because we do pay attention to the metrics of these episodes and some episodes have have done really really well uh you know that Dylan O'Brien episode for the outfit or you know both our taskmaster double episode bonanza uh you know there's there's been some some pretty promising numbers here and we like to know the type of guests the type of movies you want to hear about because it's overdue rentals. We like to think of ourselves as the rental store that never existed, but definitely should have, because don't you miss renting movies in, a, in an actual physical space? We, we certainly do. And we want to keep that atmosphere going here. But, you know, as, as friends, family, listeners, it is time for us to bid you a fond farewell. And with that, we say, bye if you enjoy listening to Overdue Rentals, make sure to support us by going to anchor.fm slash overdue rentals slash support to donate and keep us going to make better episodes for the future.